So I'm here to represent the missions team, uh, which is with a few quick announcements. Uh, would it be possible, the AV team in the back, can I get the Go Give Pray slide up on the boards, if that'd be possible? Awesome. Cool. So this weekend's missions conference was about going, giving, and praying. So if you call yourself a Christian, if you, if you consider yourself saved, you have been called to go, to give, and to pray. So the three announcements that I have for you, thankfully, all go with going, giving, and praying. First one, Jim Jordan, as we know over there, raising his hand, uh, he is going back to Zambia in June and he is raising funds. He's uh, looking to get a laptop to donate to the media team uh, at Northrise University in Zambia. So they've been going uh, for several years at this point, going back usually every other year or so, um, but this time Jim is going by himself. Uh, they're opening up a new uh, wing, right, to the school, and there's gonna be a graduating class, and he's gonna be part of that. Um, and so he is going on behalf of Northrise University to be the official photographer for that uh, graduation. So obviously, prayer for him, uh, also raising support to get that laptop to send over there as well. Giving, go give, pray. Uh, if you guys saw on the back table in the, the lobby there, we have these pamphlets that we made up. And inside, you can see all the people and the organizations that we support both through prayer and financially. So if you get a chance, take a look at uh, these pamphlets because it is amazing the number of people that this church supports. I mean, we, we support the same number of people that a church 10 times our size should be supporting. So thank you <laughs> to all of you being so, so generous. Um, so yeah, so please take up one of these pamphlets that are in the back. Uh, and also, we have these uh, Giving Beyond cards back there as well, which again, lists all the people that we are supporting both financially and for uh, prayer. And you can see who they are, what they're doing. This also says like how you can pray for them. So if you say like, I don't know what to pray for, this tells you what you can do to pray for them. So please, we ask you that uh, you'd pray for um, how much you might want be willing to, to give towards missions this upcoming year, and it helps us to uh, figure out some type of budget uh, when we're figuring out how much we can give to each missionary throughout the year. And lastly, on the pray, in the back again, we also have signups for prayer support teams. They meet once a month uh, every Sunday, so you'd be part of a different group that meets one Sunday a month, and you'd be praying for different missionaries uh, once a month. So it's a, it's a great time to get together, praying with other believers uh, as a community for the people that we support um, all around the world. So again, we thank you so much for your generosity. Today's speaker, we have, uh, as Wayne mentioned, we have Ben Smith with us. Uh, Sarah and I have been friends with the Smiths for about 10 years, um, roughly around 2006 or so. And back in 2008 was their first mission to Uganda. 
Uh, I remember very vividly when, when they went and they came back and there were a few other friends of ours that went with them on that first trip. And they, they had a, like a little um, meeting afterwards when they got back and they had a slideshow. And I remember sitting there thinking, yeah, that looks like Africa, all right. And like, yeah, these are crazy stories. And then every week it was just another Africa story. Like, oh, and this reminds me of Africa too. And we're like, okay, we get it. It was a great trip, whatever. It's like, can we talk about something else for a while, you know? But it, but it just kept going. And so then they went back again the next year and then the next year and then the next year. And then it was going twice a year, every year. Uh, and then the trips kind of got a little bit longer. So it was like they stay for two weeks and sometimes it's three weeks and now it's four weeks and six weeks or in Ben's case, six months. So yeah, it's like, are they short-term missionaries or are they long-term missionaries? It's like, yeah, they kind of live in both places. So I consider them to be long-term missionaries uh, in my mind. But every time they come back, uh, they do tell us just wonderful, wonderful stories about how God is not only working in, in their lives and the people that going that are going with them to Uganda, but how God is working in the people in the in the country of Uganda as well as around the world and it's just it's amazing to hear these stories because you know if you if you were there last night um, they shared a, a very powerful story about uh, Courtney praying over you know several young girls um, and one of the things I remember telling to Sarah it's like you know here in America we're mostly convinced or most Americans are convinced that there is no spiritual world. So Satan would do a, a disservice to himself if he revealed himself in the same way that he acts in countries like Uganda, where there is no question in Uganda that there is a spiritual world. You know, you'd be hard to find an atheist in Uganda. So the kinds of things that they see and that they're witness to, we don't, we don't have that here because that's not how Satan is working in our lives. So it's just, it is definitely eye-opening to, to hear these stories. And, you know, as we went to Uganda, um, being witness to how God is working over there. So it is a great privilege that, uh, that he's here this morning to share his heart with us. So thank you, Ben. We'd like to hear more from you now. We'll see how long I can stay standing in one place with this podium mic. Um, I'm not very good at it. So yeah, so my name's Ben Smith. I started going to Uganda, like you said, 2008. Um, I spent more time in Uganda last year than I spent in the US. Um, not necessarily by choice. Uh, I went over in, um, well, I was there in January, then I went over in July and uh, kind of thought I would come back at the end of July and stayed almost until Christmas, kind of a fun and happening time. Um, and that was to uh, adopt our little boy. Um, we had been kind of going through this long process of, of trying to bring our son home and, uh, and it was just like one thing after another. And, uh, and I had decided when, when we went over in July, I said, you know, it's just, you know, I, I can't cause any more damage to our son by continuing to leave him. So, uh, so I'll just stay. 
Um, and so I did. And, you know, my wife went home, and I kind of stayed there. And I was like, man, I might have bit off more than I could chew. But um, but it was fun. I had a blast. Um, I really enjoyed it. And it's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic because I spend so much time in Uganda, and I also spend so much time in America that, like, the church in Uganda actually commissions me when I go to America. Right? Like, you, know, you have, like, missionaries coming to, like, you know, going out to Zambia or whatever, and the church commissions them. They'll, like, commission me in a service to go to America as a missionary. And it's kind of a weird feeling, um, but it feels right at the same time. Um, no matter where I am in the world, I'm both at home and homesick. Kind of a weird dynamic, which, um, you, yeah, you, you can relate, can't you? Um, and so what, what I really want to talk about is, um, is the identity of a missionary um, and what, what that really means. Because I, I think that we kind of have this, this separation of like, you know, in the church you've got missionaries and then you've got like regular people that come. So if you're a missionary, would you raise your hand for me? Would you raise up your hands? Oh, we've got quite a few. That's awesome. So everyone who didn't raise your hands, that means that you're a mission field. Because you're either a missionary or a mission field. I learned that a few years ago. Um, you don't have to go somewhere far to be a missionary. Um, so a little bit about myself so that you can get to know me a little bit better. Um, I was born in Grass Valley. I don't know if you know where that is, about an hour up the road, give or take. Um, I was a troublemaker. Man, I was an awful kid. I was the worst. Um, I had an older sister, and she was like straight A student. Always did the right thing, and I was like, you know, setting stuff on fire and getting into fights. Um, you know, in first grade, and <laughs> um, and uh, and you know, my parents divorced, and I think I was two, two or three. My parents divorced, and. Um, I, you know, someone told me once that like when you have children of divorced parents, there's like one that's really good and one that's awful. So I, I got to be the awful kid. That was the role that I took. Um, and my sister loved it because she could, she could commit a minor infraction and then I would turn around and commit a major infraction and it always took the heat off her, right? Like I remember uh, my sister got a tattoo. Oh, she got a tattoo on her back and, um, and I hadn't seen my dad for a couple of years, and he saw all the tattoos on my arms, right? And he had, like, read her the riot act when she got a tattoo. And, um, and then my sister got another tattoo right after, you know, my dad saw mine. And, uh, you know, said, hey, she called him instead of showing it to him. She said, hey, dad, I got another tattoo. And he goes, well, you're going to have to get a lot more to catch up to your brother. <laughs> so I always took the heat off my sister. Um, so I was a troublemaker. Um, my mom moved down to Las Vegas when I was nine. She took me with her. My sister stayed up in, in Grass Valley. Um, uh, my sister ended up moving down to Vegas. I, in turn, moved up to, uh, to Grass Valley. Um, continued to be a troublemaker. And at 13, my dad just kind of said, you know, I'm done with you. So uh, the state raised me from, you know, 13 to 18, you know, group homes, juvenile hall, all that stuff. Uh, mostly juvenile hall, and uh, continued to fight. And I felt um, kind of just lonely. Um, I felt angry all the time. Um, I just felt like no one was really there for me. 
Um, and uh, and that that came out in the way that that I behaved. Um, it came out in the way that I interacted with people. Uh, I remember I was getting in so many fights that, um, like in juvenile hall, that that like by the time I was fourteen, they wouldn't let me out of my cell without handcuffs and shackles. I was a fourteen-year-old kid for crying out loud. Um, but I was just kind of numb to all of it, and so uh, you know, eighteen, I aged out of the system. Um, kind of got the one job that I felt was uh, appropriate for me, which was selling drugs, and. Um, I ended up getting into a high-speed chase, um, hitting a police car, and going to prison for a couple years. Totally, at that point in my life, it was like, this is just the logical next step. Got into a lot of fights there. Um, still just the, the feelings of loneliness and despair and hopelessness um, and feeling like no one was really there for me. Um, and, uh, and one day I got into a fight with a guy was he, was he was a little bit bigger than me and um, man, I, w I went into a cell and um, and he ended up dying um, and I looked at my life and I was like man I gotta I gotta change the way I live but I don't I have no I have no clue I have absolutely no clue as to how to change my life because I am just a complete mess um, and I used to see like the, the Christians out on the yard and they'd have their Bible study. Um, and I hated them. I absolutely hated them. Like I wanted to go up to, to the Christians and just kick them in the face. Like I was that against the gospel. And uh, I had been, I'd been forced to go to drug class in prison so that, hey, we're going to pay for a rehab for you when you get out for six months. And I said, that's fine, but I'm not going to go to a Christian rehab. I hate Christians. I hate the idea of God. I hate, you know, this, this gospel that you guys talk about. He said, fine, you can sign up for every, whatever you want. So I was looking through the ones in, in Placer County because uh, there weren't any in Nevada County. And um, the first one that I found said it was Christian. Right? It was like this binder said it was Christian. So I just flipped the page. The second one said it was Christian. I flipped the page. The third one said it wasn't Christian. However, it was called Abba House. <laughs> Clearly a typo. But you know, like in church, we have our own vocabulary, right? And so like to someone who isn't a Christian, they see A-B-B-A -B -B -A, and it's like ABBA, like an ABBA Zabba bar or like that band from the 70s. And I was like, I don't know what these people are all about, but maybe there's going to be free candy. And that sounds nice. <laughs> so I show up to this place and, you know, you like sign paperwork and everything. I was, you know, I'd been in prison for a couple of years and I was super angry still. Um... My dad had, had actually, he'd gotten saved when I was about 17. And so I talked to him occasionally when I was in prison and he would try to tell me about Jesus. And I'd be like, you know what, if that works for you or if that soothes your conscience, that's fine. But you know what, that's not for me. So he picked me up at the gate when I got out of prison. He took me up to this place. I'm signing paperwork, you know, my dad left and I'm signing paperwork and I, I like, you know, flip the page and it says, you know, basically you consent to being in a Christian program. I'm like, no, I don't. Uh, I said, I'm not going to sign this. And in fact, I would rather be in prison than hang out with you people. And they were so nice. They're so kind and loving. <laughs> These Christians, man, 
they go, uh, this, this older guy pulls me aside and he goes, hey man, you should just try it out. The food's better than prison food. <laughs> I was like, well, if the food's better, I guess I'll stay for a little while. And no, seriously, I'm not even kidding. So, cause man, I was tired of prison food. It's awful. Um, yeah, anyone who thinks it's a country club, man, just try some of that prison food. It's terrible stuff. So, um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm laying in bed about eight days later, and I decided to try praying, right? And I, like, I had been so, like, people would come up to me in the program. They'd be like, hey, you know, are you a Christian? I'd be like, nope. He'd be like, well, do you, do you have any questions about it? Nope. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough, dude. And they would just totally back off. They were so sweet about it. And I was so I'm laying in bed and I decide praying and I don't remember what I said, right? I don't remember, you know, what exactly how I started it off. I was like, yo, God, or whatever I said. But I, I decided to and immediately I felt this this overwhelming weight almost come upon me and um and uh, I felt God tell me to get out of bed, get down on my knees, and accept what his son did for me. Totally in the room by myself. And I just did it. I was like, okay. So I do it. You know, I, I get down on my knees, and, and, I, and I, I, I led myself in a salvation prayer. Um, which, trust me, people had shared enough of the gospel with me that I was fairly certain I was doing it right. Um. And, um, and I felt, I just, I, it was like somebody had removed like a backpacking pack off my shoulders. And, um, and I just, I started smiling. I think I hadn't probably, I probably hadn't smiled in like seven years. And I'm like, wow, this feels really good. And I climb back into bed, go to bed, you know, go to sleep and sleep, you know, very well, probably for the, again, for the first time in about seven years. And I get up the next morning <laughs> crack of dawn and I'm out watching the sunrise right and again I have like still have this smile plastered on my face I probably look like a total idiot <laughs> and um the the house manager comes out and he because he saw me out, outside and he looks at me this dude John he looks at me and he goes what's your problem <laughs> and I was like dude I'm one of you guys now and he's all, no way. What happened? And so I, I, I think he probably thought I was high or something. And so I, I explained it to him, and he's like, dude, I don't believe it. That's crazy. So, um, and things just changed, like, immediately for me. My dad was building a house, and um, I would go up and help him work on his house. And we'd yell at each other um, and occasionally put up a couple pieces of siding. Uh, but mostly yell at each other. And... Um, and we began to rebuild this this relationship that we had had like years ago when I'd been a little kid, um, and it was really very sweet. Um, I met Courtney um, kind of during that time as well, and we got married pretty quickly. Um, I was like, man, I just know this this is the right girl for me for sure. And so we've been married over ten years. Um, and then uh, I like. Courtney is kind of funny. We didn't mention this, but she t she showed me these videos, right? Oh, maybe I did mention this last night. But she showed me these videos of these child soldiers in Uganda, and I was like, "Dude, we got to do something." I don't know what, but we got to do something. 
And so we, we went over there on a mission trip, and, um, and we've been working over there for nearly eight years, and I've never met a child soldier <laughs> in real life. Um, but we went over there to build schools, or to build a school, because uh, we like projects. Um, Americans, like, we're really, really, really project-oriented. Um, and what we found was that, yes, like, we have this huge school program over there and it's wonderful and it's definitely blessing the people um but more than that it's it's allowing us to get the foot in the door to preach the gospel um and like i remember talking to ellis's grandma one time and obviously through a translator she doesn't speak a leak lick of english um but uh we were just kind of asked her a couple of questions, and then I think it was Courtney. She goes, uh, "So, what's the biggest difference that the school has brought here to Togo?" And I was expecting her to say, "Oh, the kids are getting educated now." But what she said was, "I've seen hope come back to this place." And I was like, "Man, that's huge! Like, that's so not the answer I was expecting." Um, and so what we thought was a school has returned hope to a place that was essentially hopeless. Um, and that's not us. Like that has absolutely nothing to do with us. That's what God is doing in that place. And we just, we just get to be a part of it. We just get to be a little piece of it. Um, and it's awesome. And, and as, um, as Pastor Wayne told you earlier, what we told you last night, um, you know, I, I just get to go out and do stuff with my dad. I stopped serving God years ago. I just go out and do stuff with my dad, right? Because you, you, you serve a master, and yes, yes, God is our master, but he's also our dad. And I'd much rather go out and do stuff with my dad than to serve a master. It's just a different relationship, and it's a different way to look at it. Um. So I wanted to talk about um, the Great Commission. I'm not gonna, we're not going to go into depth like we did last night. Um, but uh, I think it's so important. And I, I was talking about this last night. Um, you have a God who came to earth, who died and was resurrected, and he came back to tell you something. And so everything that Jesus said was vitally important but when he comes back from the dead to tell you something like it's you know you kind of got to be all ears in that case um just the way i see it take it or leave it um but you know again that is <laughs> important so <laughs> Um, Matthew 28, 16 through 20 says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, here's the red letters, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to Jesus, and Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples. 
Right? As Courtney mentioned last night, and some of you weren't there to hear this, it's not the going, it's the making disciples that's important. Um, I, I am the least qualified person. You want to talk about the identity of a missionary? Come on. A drug dealer? A murderer? Someone who's, who's immoral? I mean, you could give me a lot of names, and you could give me a lot of labels, and they would be absolutely fitting. You could call me a lot of things, and it would be absolutely true. However, that's not what I am anymore. What I am now is a child of God who just wants to do things with his dad. Right? And I'm sure that, that there's a lot of things that someone could call a lot of you. There's a lot of labels that someone could put on you. It's like, uh, you know, when you ask someone, what do you do? Like, Sean, what do you do? And the first answer is always how you make your money. <laughs> right? Is that who you are, though? No. And uh, I, I've got, it's funny, I, I work for this guy, Justin, uh, Clean Pools. Um, so that's why I drive a beat-up red pickup that's out there. And, uh, you know, like, I don't, I don't really make any money. Um, it's pretty sad. But um, my, my buddy Justin, he says, uh, yeah, like, we clean pools, for sure. Like, that's what our company does. But more importantly, um, if you get the opportunity, share the gospel with our clients. Because um, I care far more about sharing the gospel um, than, uh, you know, about getting the pools clean. He's like, but make sure the pool's clean. <laughs> um <laughs> And, uh, you know, I remember the other day uh, I was cleaning a police officer's uh, pool. <laughs> and, uh, and actually, I happened to recognize him from another job. I used to work at Starbucks, and he was one of my regulars. And so I sat down, and we were talking, and, um, you know, he, kinda, he started asking me about my tattoos, and, you know, I, I just started telling him, you know, so he's like, so what did you go to prison for? And I was like, oh, man, I so don't want to tell him. So I, I did, you know, and I was like, look, like, I was such a, I was, let's be fair, I was stupid. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I shared my testimony. He said, well, you know, what, why, why aren't you still involved in that lifestyle? I said, you know what, man, like, Jesus changed me, you know? I was like, that's the only, that's it. I can't explain it any other way. You know, I mean, if you looked at my background and who I used to be and who I am now, like, it doesn't. It doesn't jive at all. It doesn't make any sense. You know, me going to Africa is just like, I, it was just a place on a map for me. You know, now it's a home. And I have no plans of stopping what I'm doing. But like, I never would have imagined. And, uh, and, and like, Jesus changes us. We all have that. Um, we all have that in us, right? Like, Jesus came into your life at some point, and you, you may have grown up in the church, but there's that moment when you were like, hold up, this is real. 
right? This isn't just something that they told me in church, right? This isn't just something that, um, that I hear or something that's in my head. It's not just a book that I read, but it's a Savior who lives in my heart. And, like, there is that, like, moment where you know that you know that you know, and you become your own undeniable evidence for the, the, the truth of the gospel. Amen? And now, I wanted to mention, too, that, uh, you know, this church, obviously, it's, it's a little bit older church, but I think that we understand the way that our culture is going, in a sense. Um, we have this idea, especially amongst um, millennials, of changing the world, right? And uh, I, I go, I currently go to William Jessup University, and, like, everybody's younger than me. Um, but everybody wants to change the world, and it's awesome. Everyone's like, dude, we should change the world. We, we got to get out there and change the world. And I'm like, I think you're biting off more than you can chew. <laughs> the world's a really big place. Um, you know, because if I look at a map, I'm like, hey, from my house to my work is a centimeter. And then my house to Uganda is a lot of centimeters <laughs> when I look at a map. Like, it's a really big place. Um, and when I read the Bible, I don't really see Jesus telling us to change the world. I just don't. I don't see it in there. I could be wrong. But I really don't see it that way. Um, I, I see human lives as, as being the most important thing. Um, not changing the world, but but maybe changing the world for for one life. Um, when when I'm I'm in Africa, I'm not worried about we need to make these big changes in here because things are messed up and things are wrong. You know, it's like no, like I'm I'm just gonna build a relationship with one person and um, and try to change the world for them. You know, or or really more appropriately, let let Jesus change the world for that one person. You know what I mean? It's just too much to do. But if we get enough people, maybe they'll just kind of naturally do it. Um, I don't know. It remains to be seen. But the world doesn't belong to us. It's fallen. It belongs to Satan. Right? And Christ is going to come in and redeem it at some point. Now, I do believe in taking care of the environment for the simple fact that, that God told us to in Genesis. Um, and I do believe in eating organic grass-fed beef <laughs> for the simple fact that it tastes better. <laughs> Amen. Amen. It tastes a lot better. <laughs> um, but it's so much more expensive, so... Um, but that's not really the point I'm trying to make, you know. The point that I'm trying to make is is that you know we do, we need to be stewards of of the world and and really the lives around us that are entrusted to us. If God puts someone in your path, He's essentially saying, you know, I, I'm giving you a small responsibility here. Um, and I I really like I have this fear. I've, I've since 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 I've gotten saved, I've had this fear. So like when I die and go to heaven, right? God's not going to be like, well done, good and faithful servant. He's going to be like, well, you made it. 
And I don't know why it's probably irrational. Because <laughs> I, I just, I don't think God really rolls that way. But, um, <laughs> but like, I'm always like, man, like, I'm not trying to impress God. I'm, I'm just trying to go out and do stuff with him. But I don't want to miss opportunities. Um, I'm going to move on a little bit into uh, some other scripture. Because I could just get bogged down for a couple hours here. Um, but First Peter 2, 1 through 10 says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You, yours, you yourselves like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become a cornerstone a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We can, um, we can sit around and argue about anything. Like I go to a Christian university, right? So there's like people from all different denominations. And I have, I have this friend, Zach, right? And he's, um, he disagrees with me on almost everything, Right? Um, and the things that he doesn't disagree with me on, I like just kind of poke at him just to try to get him going <laughs> because it's fun to listen to. But I love him because he's my brother. Now, um, we can argue about little stuff. And we can spend time amongst ourselves in our Christian circles arguing the small points of Christianity. And yes, they matter. But I think that, that it takes away from what we ought to be doing. Right? Um, namely, going out and sharing the gospel with people who don't believe or who haven't heard it before. Um, I travel to Africa. I think I've said this a couple times. I, I travel to Africa. It takes, um, what, about two days? Um, to get there, uh, it takes usually two or more airlines to get there. Um, and you have to sit upright for uh, roughly 35 hours, <laughs> give or take, depending on where you fly through. Um, it sucks to get over there. But it's worth it when you get there. Now, there's some of you out there who say, I can't sit upright for that long. 
Um, there's no way that uh, I could raise the money to get to Africa. There is um, absolutely um, no way that health-wise I, I could do it. And that's absolutely fine. Those are all legitimate excuses except for the money thing because God owns a lot of stuff. <laughs> um, but are all of you called to Africa? Are all of you called to go to some crazy place to preach the gospel? I don't think so. I think that everyone at some point in their life should go on a short-term mission somewhere. And I would prefer it be with me to Uganda. <laughs> but you don't have to go to some crazy place to be a missionary by any means. You just have to go out and hang out with your dad. You have to remember where you came from and where you're going. You have to remember that, that there is a piece of the creator of the world who actually dwells inside of you. And he spurs you on. And he, he gives you this, like, like when, I, when I wake up, especially on the mission field, but anywhere, if I know that I'm going to have an opportunity to share the gospel with someone, I get like a fire in my belly, right? Like I'm just excited. And like we all need to just have that excitement, that fire in our bellies to go out and share the gospel. Because like really if we're not, then what's the point? I mean, we're going to get to heaven someday and say, you know, God's going to pat us on the back. What's he going to say? You know, I'm sure he's going to be glad that we're there. But, you know. Now, I was in Uganda spending an extended time um, about three years ago. And uh, I went to sleep one night, as I do most nights. And uh, I had a dream. And I don't really, like, I think I dream, but I don't ever remember my dreams. Um, and I don't know where this came from, but I dreamt that I was in this warehouse. And um, it was like, a, you know, it was kind of like some old, it was like an abandoned warehouse. It was really, like, dirty and grimy and grungy. And I was, like, walking up these stairs, um, and uh, it was, you know, it was like a brick building, like a brick warehouse. And they had these, the you know, like the small pane windows. And it was a big, there's this big window. There's dust all over the floor. And I could see that someone had written something in the dust on the windows and the panes. And as I moved closer to this window, um, I could see it said, how far would you go to love? And out the window, because I was on an upper floor, was the world spread out in front of me. And I woke up, I, remember I woke up almost immediately, and I was like, man, that's a good question. How far would I go to love? And uh, a couple days later, Pastor Steve comes to me, and he goes, hey, do you want to go on a mission trip? Yo, I'm in Uganda. <laughs> he goes, do you want to go on a mission trip? I was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. 
He goes, okay, well, um, uh, you're going to go with uh, David and Paul and a couple other people there. Uh, you know, some Ugandans from the church. Paul's one of Pastor Steve's sons. And so uh, we loaded up. There's a van that we own that at the time was brown, and the Ugandans called it the doo-doo. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I think they mean something else by it, by the way. <laughs> So we get into this van, and Paul's driving, and Paul drives crazy. And we start driving out to, um, it's actually a different kingdom within Uganda. So we usually were in the, the Buganda kingdom, so we're going to the Basoga kingdom. And uh, we're kind of cruising along, and we stopped and got, like, street meat, which is, like, meat on a stick. And it always reminds me, of, have you ever seen um, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Where they have, like, the, the gopher. They're cooking the gopher, and he's like, gopher over it. <laughs> It always reminds me of that, but it's really good. Um, so as we're stopped, uh, David goes, uh, hey, do you, do, you, do you know my story? And I'm like, yeah, I know your story. David was a Muslim. He came from a small village um, out near where we were going. Um, he was a Muslim, and he went to a crusade and got saved. And his dad was an imam. It's like a leader in the mosque type of thing. And, um, and his uncle had actually organized uh, a group of men from the mosque to, um, to kill him with machetes. So he fled his village and, um, and had gone to Kampala, and that's where he met Pastor Steve. So uh, he goes, hey, um, so you, you remember my story? Yeah. And he goes, uh, well, I was thinking, because the village that we're going to is not far from, from my own village, I was thinking we could stop and have a cup of tea at my parents' house. <laughs> How, what do you feel about that? And I was like, are these the same ones that tried to kill you? And he's like, yeah. You remember the story. And I was like, okay. Why not? I'm already here. So we go out. Um, we stop at his parents' house, and the uncle who had organized the people to uh, to kill him, they were he was hanging out there, and um, and so we're sitting in. They have this like uh, they have like their house, and then there's like this round mud structure um, with like two window openings and two door openings, but no doors or windows. So it's kind of cool in there, and we we're sitting on benches, and they brought out food and everything. It was really nice. Um, so. I'm sitting there eating, and uh, David leans over, and he goes, Hey, you can share the gospel with them if you want. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, do I have to? I'm like, whatever, I'm already here, might as well. Especially because I had that dream, which was super convicting. So, uh, so I share the gospel with them, and they're just like stone-faced the whole time. And uh, I get done, and I'm like, so is that, you know, something you'd be interested in? And, uh, you know, they were like, you know, thanks but no thanks um, as they're sitting there. But they didn't kill me <laughs> or attempt to, which was nice. And then they said, you can come back anytime you want. You're more than welcome. So as we're sitting there, um, someone kind of shows up, and they're, they're speaking uh, Lusoga, which is... Uh, a dialect that I don't know any of. And David says, hey, um, do you want to go pray for someone? 
with us? And I was like, yeah, sure, that sounds, that sounds fun. What's going on? And they're like, well, he, um, he, it's an old man who hasn't been able to, to move for um, like six months. And I was like, okay. And to share my praying with people life, it kind of goes back and forth from uh, me excitedly praying for people and nothing happening and me praying for people in kind of one of those, um, how long do I have to pray to make a good show of it and then something happening? It's just kind of how it goes. It's not me. It's totally God just messing with me at times. <laughs> so we walk out and we're on like this single track trail and we're walking for like 30 minutes. I was like, dude, how far is this house? I'm like, why couldn't we just drive the doo-doo up here? And um, and as we get closer, um, I see kind of this like this square mud hut and a big open yard. And then um, these little tiny, um, they look like maybe like a house for a cat. Right, It was like kind of like made out of grass, and it looked like a grass thatch hut that a person would live in, but it was like only the size for a cat. And I was like, you know, there's probably like four or five of them. And I turned to Paul, and I'm like, dude, Paul, what's up with the little cat houses? <laughs> and he's like, oh, this dude's a witch doctor, and those are shrines for his, his demons. And I was like, oh, sweet. That's definitely what I wanted to hear. And uh, so we walk up, and I mean, there's like a small crowd already forming because there's a white guy in the village who's going to talk to a witch doctor, and they don't see white people very often. And uh, I'm like, man, this is like so uncomfortable. Like, what am, what am I even going to do? Because I'm probably just going to pray for this dude just to make a good show of it. So I'm talking to David, and... Um, and David's like, yeah, so also apparently he hasn't been able to speak for four months. And he's like, so me and you and maybe one other person, there's like eight of us total, and maybe one other person, we'll, um, we'll pray over him uh, and just see what happens. I'm like, okay. And so, uh, you know, we, we put our hands, he's kind of like in kind of a seated position or maybe like someone had dropped him next to the door. Super old guy. He had like three generations below him that were all hanging out there. Um, and we walk over and David's like, hold up. He's like, let me just share the gospel real quick. So he shares the gospel with the family and like a bunch of them get saved right there. Boom. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then he's like, so let's pray for, for the, the, the grandfather. I was like, you mean the witch doctor? And he's like, yeah. So, uh, so I put my hand on his shoulder and I look at David, right? And he looks back at me. And he goes, you can start whenever. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you know, so you just kind of do like, oh, you know, God, please heal this guy. Yeah. Well, whatever's going on, let's do what you're going to do, Jesus. <laughs> and, um, and uh, you know, I get done praying, and David looks at me, and uh, he goes, don't you have something else to say? And I'm like, no. And he goes, well, aren't you going to tell him to stand up and walk? No. He goes, why don't you tell him to stand up and walk? 
because that's crazy. So he goes, just do it. So I go, okay, stand up and walk. And then David translates it because he doesn't speak English. <laughs> so the guy stands up and starts like shuffling, right? The dude was like 90. And then the rest of our missionary team, they start clapping, right, and singing um, praise songs in uh, Luganda or Lusogo. I'm not really sure. Um, and the dude starts dancing, right? And I'm like, no way. That's awesome. So, um, so then I go, well, you know, like biblically speaking, um, we have prayed for this guy. And if he goes back to demon worship, he's probably going to be in a worse position than he was. So I was like, I'll just share the gospel with him. So I do, and the first words out of his mouth in four months was him confessing Christ. And then he went and tore down the little cat houses or shrines. And, um, like, I wasn't even convinced anything would happen. I just said okay and God did the rest and he made a huge impact on that village David's mom's a Christian now his brother's a Christian his dad's I think very close it changed the village and I just said okay And sometimes I swear God's just messing with me. He just likes to make me uncomfortable. <laughs> but if we just keep saying okay, maybe you get to see something cool. If you just keep going out and doing stuff with your dad, maybe you get to see something cool. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, thank you so much for this morning, Lord. Thank you so much for um, giving us opportunities every morning to go out and do things with you, to go out and take part in the family business. Father, would you continue to encourage us? Would you continue to give us that fire in the belly? Would you continue to... Um, Remind us of how far you've brought us. Lord, would you just take us to, to places that we never could imagine? Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. And we say, yes, Dad, I will. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I have one last question for you. If you're a missionary, would you raise your hand? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Thank you for that.